0: It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner.
1: Welcome into this edition of the Skinny Podcast, the Bengals edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Jed Demusi, Local12 anchor, reporter, and a sports producer. Um, you and I kind of argued about this for a couple of weeks, and, and um, I wavered and wavered and wavered and kind of hedged my bets about Marvin Lewis coming back. Um... I think you were pretty adamant that it would be hard to, it would be hard for that to happen. I didn't you know we we agreed on some points. But to cut to the chase, he, he is back. What do you make of it?
0: Well, I think I think you you glossed over the fact that you pretty much called this from when it came out. Well, I guess you 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 said when they didn't come out the Monday after the Minnesota game when it was revealed that that Marvin was looking or we're basically leaving, yeah. Marvin was looking. You said from that point on, because they didn't do anything, I think he could potentially come back. And it turns out you were 100% correct on that. Um, and I said, there's no way, there's no way. I said, you're feeding into this narrative. And, and you said, do you know this family? Do you know this organization? <laughs> I mean, you can go back and listen to the, uh, the tapes. I mean, you had it right that, that this was going to happen. Um, this is almost too layered to even, to even, I don't even know where to get started. I, I guess I'll start with some of the comments you made, and I guess I, I, I'm looking for some clarification. I don't sure. know if you can provide it or not. From last night that, that you had on Local 12, where you said, Marvin had, now has more control over the coaching staff and the players that he brings in. I guess my question is, do you know how much control he had before yesterday
1: um i can tell you this much it, it, the paul alexander one to me signified that he didn't have as much control as he would have liked that he inherited paul alexander um and i even said to some people going into yesterday i said if paul alexander comes back and i had nothing against paul I'm, you know, i actually saw him in the park it was the weirdest most surreal moment ever i was walking out of paul brown stadium last night around 6 30 and he was seeing he his wife and maybe one of their kids were putting all this stuff in, in a car And that's pretty surreal to watch a guy after 23 yeah. years that's kind of the way it ended for him and all I said was as I walked by good luck he smiled and said hey thanks very much appreciate the relationship and, and on we on he on I went and on he went um but but I do think that 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 signified to me one of the concessions was I want to pick my own guys and, and if, if it if Paul had been retained I would have said ah, boy not much has really changed um but I think that signified that a lot has changed. You know, I, I go back to Ken Zampese. I don't think that was a Marvin hire. I think that was more, he's in our organization. It's his turn. It's his time. Marvin, make him offensive coordinator. I think that's where you saw this past year, after two weeks, Marvin going back to Mike Brown and saying, listen, I got to make a change here. He's killing us. We're, we're, not, we're not succeeding. Let me make this change. Because they don't do that, as you know. They they don't do that very often in, in a season. So that was another one to me. Um just some of Marvin's comments on Monday and Wednesday, and a couple of Bengals sources I talked to, he, um, he he obviously was not happy with the Whitworth being allowed to walk. Was not happy with the John Ross draft.
0: I think this was you know you know for a fact that he yes, he did not want to take John Ross. Correct,
1: correct. That was not his first choice, and, and so I think this is him saying, "Listen, I want control over my roster construction. I, I want to be the one that." Well, I get, and he's, I, I'm, I'm speaking for him here, but I think he would be the first to tell you, I get Kevin Zeitler walking. Okay, you know, there, there are parameters that you have to work under, and he right. even mentioned that a little bit yesterday. Um, but the Whitworth one was was really a low-ball initial offer for a guy that had deserved more than that and would have stayed for, for less than what he probably went and signed for, and you let him walk. And it, I think it was a case of after this year was over and as this year progressed, this was Marvin realizing the family wants me back, but by God, I'm going to do it my way. And going, I told you you shouldn't let Witt walk. I, I told you we, we should have gone somewhere else in the draft. I told you I want to have my own say over my full own coaching staff. I don't want to be inheriting guys um, and, and have to stick with them year to year to year to year to year. I want, to, I want that saying. I think you're seeing him get that. I think that was the first step yesterday with Paul Alexander, and I think you will see it with the roster construction.
0: So I guess to me, though, my question becomes then, does Marvin get credit for pulling Vontaze perfect off the scrap heap? Was that his call? Uh, very, very
1: very, much his call. I mean, he's the one that went well, and basically out and recruited him.
0: Okay, but that's my point is he has but had some roster construction. He has, he has. But,
1: but the where does the buck stop? The buck still stops at Mike Brown a lot of times. It still stops there. I mean, I think this is him – now the buck stops at him. Now when it comes, when everybody's in the room and you're arguing for your guy, and Fred over there is arguing for his guy, and Betty Lou from Newport's arguing for her guy, and and Fred and Silverton's arguing for his guy. He's
0: in the conference call from the Gold Star. At Correct. Newport, which we'll get to. Well,
1: yeah, when they're all arguing, now Marvin has the control to say, No, this is who we're taking. I appreciate everybody's input, but this is who we're taking.
0: Okay. Because for every Paul Alexander, you have. You know, when, when when Matt Burke left, they went out and got uh, Jim Hazlitt.
1: Correct. And, who, and, and that was a, sure was a Marvin guy. That was a Marvin I'm not telling you the whole the, the right. whole staff wasn't. I'm just right. telling you there are bits and pieces of it that weren't or that changes that he wanted to make were not allowed to be made.
0: Uh, right. And I think this, this clarity that you're providing is something the fans want to know because when you think about, you know, Pete Brown, God rest his soul, and his, and his brother Mike a combined 150 years old and Duke Tobin, how much was marvin's input not received in that kind of room i think when you well, oh I, th- I think it I think on, was it absolutely
1: right. was it's okay. a, it's a where does the bucks somebody right. has to have right. a final say on all this
0: right i think when you go and you when you go on tv and you say he's going to have more control i think people are kind of like well wait a second how much control did he did he have? It's hard. It's hard to sort of gauge how much more control he's in. Right. Get when we don't really know how much control he had in the first place. Well,
1: and that's fair. Um, but I, I don't think he had complete control. I right. think he is over the time. You've seen this organization kind of give him a little bit more of that. Give him a little bit more of this. Um, and I think it, this was the final one for him to say, "Listen, if you want me back, here's what I want. If not, I will walk." And I think that was him floating that story three weeks ago. Um, the, the day of the Minnesota game to say hey I'm going to walk out the door because someone else is going to want me and the family going no we want you what, 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 what do you need you know what you're right what, what, do you, what, what can we finally do for you and I think that that's a big concession on their part now it's also a roll of the dice because you've got a two year window to make this work and not just make this work from a winning perspective make this work from a grand perspective so there's a lot, there's a lot at stake here
0: moving forward from that I guess it leads to the question of, is Marvin Lewis a deserving guy to walk into Mike Brown's office and say, I want complete control of personnel?
1: Fair thing to say, but I would say, and that's what I wrote um, on, on Monday or Tuesday, is that you better, as a fan, hope he wins this power struggle, because if not, it will show you that they are willing to loosen things up a little, but not completely, and, and I... Boy, I hate to say this because this isn't going to sound besmirch. The family. I don't trust them when it comes to personnel decisions. I watch the 90s. I've seen what Marvin has done um, as far as personnel goes, as far as input in draft goes, in, in, in the fact that the organization brought in Duke Tobin, and, and I think they have a good working relationship. Um I've seen the things that Marvin has done to add uh, the weight facility there, to add um, to add that that the the, the, the restaurant's not the right word, the cafeteria for the right, for the right, players. Right, right, right. I mean, little, the, the way they travel. He got all these concessions to basically pull this team from the dark ages into a place where they can at least compete with other teams in the NFL. And, and I don't think he deserves. I don't think he gets deserves. I don't think he gets way enough credit for that. He has done some things that pulled this organization from the abyss, and I mean complete abyss. Um, I know people can say, well, they went to the Super Bowl in 81. and 80. Yeah, guess who was alive then? Paul Brown was alive. Paul Brown was a good decision maker when it came to that kind of stuff. All right, He was. Mike, is he's just not. I'm sorry that he's not. He never has been. He never will be. He may love football. He may live football. He may be a good man, better than what people give him credit for being. But... I hate to tell you, he doesn't know football the way he thinks he knows football. He just doesn't. Hell, all you had to do, go back to the hard knocks from a few years ago. Can we make this tackle a tight end? What the hell? No, this isn't eighth grade peewee <laughs> spring ball, Fred. This is the end freaking FL.
0: Yeah, I, I I get all you're saying, and I, I I completely agree with it, I guess, looking at it stepping away Yeah, from I think there's it. another
1: layer to this we'll get to too, but go ahead. Okay,
0: but I think stepping away from it, you have to ask yourself, not and, and not necessarily Marvin Lewis, but in this case it is Marvin Lewis. Is Marvin Lewis capable of being the GM and the head coach of this team? It's good good, cool, in good the question, NFL, but,
1: but I think the GM part really isn't GM-ish. I think that's Katie Blackburn doing the the the, the numbers and the contracts. I think that's that's her role. Duke's role then is to evaluate personnel, provide input in personnel. But if, he's the, if personnel, he's the guy in
0: the room where the buck stops, for all intents and purposes, he's the general manager. To, to a large degree, yes. Yeah. Okay. So can you do
1: both? General- oh, absolutely. Because you're not – the the general manager for a lot of teams is also the contract person. Um, you have a salary cap person or two. that deal with salary cap numbers and figure all that stuff out. Um. So yeah, I don't think he's, he's – he's, he's not Ozzie Newsome where that's all he's doing is the business end of things with a little bit of – well, with some football sprinkled in. I think this is more – I just want to be able to construct my own roster. I want to be – when I say I don't want that guy, we don't take that guy. When I say I want that guy, I want that guy as opposed to going, no, we're going to take this guy. appreciate your input. I,
0: I, I just think when you look at the successful organizations in the NFL – They've got a general manager. Correct. And they has got a head coach.
1: Correct. And this and, one doesn't. And, so so somebody has to kind of bridge the gap. Right. And that's Marvin Lewis, in my opinion.
0: Okay. I I just I think it's a lot to ask of a coach who has never been on the sidelines for a playoff victory to be taking more onto his plate.
1: But I think he wants to be able to go. I,
0: you know what? Well, I, that's great if he wants to. But the question is, can he?
1: Well, we're going to find out in the next two years. I can't answer that question. I mean, I, that, that's something now that we're going to, going to find out because I, I, there's nothing else that he can win in a power struggle any this this longer. This was the last power struggle. He got some concessions in 2010, led to five straight playoff appearances. Should they have won one? Sure. Did they? Um, you know, the, 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 the Pittsburgh game was, was a blown game. The, the Jets game was inexcusable to lose that game. Um, so, yeah, there, there are some things. If, if you could have won a playoff game, it changes the narrative. For, for all this, I think the other thing in play here is this. I, I think the fact that there also there just wasn't a guy Mm-mm. out there that the family was comfortable going after, right? Maybe it was Jay Gruden, and the fact that Washington decided to keep Jay Gruden, all right. He's, maybe it was Hugh Jackson. The fact that the Browns said, we're keeping Hugh Jackson, suddenly now you're, you're whatever pool of guys you liked, and I'm just throwing two names out there. Right has shrunk to the point where you're, you're not going to go reach for somebody. You're going to go with somebody you are comfortable with, and they're comfortable with Marvin Lewis. Well, and look at the dumpster fire in Tampa. Oh, and no they're, question. And they're
0: keeping dirt Cutter. Correct. And and they basically— And, but, and
1: look at the guys who are getting—I mean, no offense to— I mean, Jim Schwartz and Steve Spagnuolo are, are, are interviewing for the for the New York Giants. Is, is that the hot name?
0: Well, the fact that Jim really? Schwartz— Really? I think Schwartz is interviewing as well with Arizona— um, yeah I
1: didn't see is, that one okay yeah
0: which is crazy to me that that he's back on the back on the top of the heap here I don't think anyone now
1: he also worked in his functional organization with Matt Millen at the helm so maybe he deserves a second chance
0: and he did he kind of was on I think he succeeded Rod Marinelli there and, and he did yes. have some yeah some winning years after the Marinelli offer in uh in 2008 so he he did do some good things but The name I think that really shocked me, and it sounds like Indy is sort of moving away from this guy, is Tom Cable. Right. The offensive line coach, this guy has overseen a position group that has unequivocally been the one position group in the NFL that has held a championship team from their destiny more so than any other position Probably. on any other team. If you give Seattle a good offensive line, a capable offensive line, a capable coach on that offensive well, line. Well, I don't know if it's
1: coaching as much as it's personnel. It, their personnel has been bad. They've been hurt.
0: Okay, fine. but, but You're right. But, but that doesn't – you can't – but, but, but that, that gives a guy – that keeps Tom Cable in his job if you say, oh, the personnel is bad. That doesn't elevate him well, to correct. potentially but, being a head coach. But
1: I think the overriding point is, listen to the names we're throwing out there, man. Yeah. I mean, we're not throwing out some hot, right. young commodity. And, and I know people can can uh, can tell me, well, what did we know about Sean McVay? Okay, they swung for the fence, and God yeah. love the Rams, they hit a home run. I think you're going to strike out nine times out of ten as opposed to hitting a home run. I really do. They hit the home run. They hit it for a year. Okay? And he's changed some culture. He's, he's you know, the, the quarterback relationship— I don't know, is this going to work long-term? I can't answer that. Well, they
0: also invested in their offensive and <laughs> defensive line. Correct. They brought in Whitworth. They paid Aaron Donald. Yeah. You know, If you want to look at successful teams, you see where they invest their money. And Los Angeles invested on the offensive right. line and defensive line. Not to mention they got Wade Phillips, who's still, <laughs> by and large, one of the best defensive coordinators. In yeah. So it's not just him. I do think there is something to be said for you know, taking a swing, and if you hit it out of the park, you do, but at least you took a swing. I think there are a lot of people around here that are saying they'd rather root for an organization that would take a swing, that would step up to the plate, but I, but rather I, than stay on the bench fair, and bring fair, their guy back.
1: Fair enough, but but I think you're also in the same position whether you bring in the guy that you really don't know a lot about as a fan. Oh, yeah. And you're taking – Either way, whether it's Marvin coming back or that new guy, you've got to win. And I think it's the comfort level of thinking that look, Marvin has won before; he knows what he's doing to build the winner. I feel more comfortable with him getting us back on track as opposed to taking the swing from the fence from somebody to the outside. I just don't know, know enough about, and I'm comfortable. I'm and not the, comfortable.
0: And with. the reason why Sean McVay stands out so much is because it is so improbable. Right that they're doing what he's doing. I saw that he's the second youngest head coach to go to the playoffs as a rookie in all four of the major sports. Second only to Jerry Colangelo with the Suns in nineteen Six, yeah, seventy. Yeah,
1: sixty nine
0: seventy, yeah. So that's I mean, we're talking about a rare, rare thing. If you want to say I'd rather I'd rather root for an organization that'll take a swing, that's fine. But there are a lot of swings and misses a lot. when we come to this. And look at the, look at Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia, the two Patriots coordinators that are being talked about for these open jobs. It's a lot of people go to the Patriots and say we want to take one of your coordinators. By and large, none of those guys have really worked none of out. them, none of them, really none.
1: I mean, I think the the thing for Matt Patricia is he's got one of the great defensive minds as his head coach, and for Josh McDaniels, he's got arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. Executing his plays. Great. Does that mean you can do it somewhere else with other and different guys? Josh McDaniels proved in Denver that wasn't the case. I'm not here to tell you guys don't deserve I mean, Belichick got a second chance, right? Right. Belichick also, did he win a play- playoff game in Cleveland?
0: I think so. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, he showed it that he could do it somewhere else too. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just – if this was just a year where you went, I know who that is, and that guy's an up-and-comer, and you hear that across the board in the league – then okay, but I just I don't hear that. I don't feel that. I don't see that. When I see Jim Schwartz and Steve Spagnola interviewing for one of the most prestigious jobs in the NFL, if not all of sports, the New York Giants head football coaching job, it tells me we're back to retread central, right? When the, when the Raiders are willing to give John Gruden the moon, a John Gruden who, frankly, at the end of his career in Tampa... Was dreadful.
0: Well, not only that, he won the Super Bowl with Tony. I mean, that was a Tony Dungy right. constructed roster. His Super Bowl. I mean, I
1: don't think he's a good coach. I think he's a good coach, but right. It's not like he's the be all end all, right? I think he was forty six and fifty one in his last whatever years at Tampa after the Super Bowl, right?
0: And his assistant. I mean, there were there were rumors that Bill Callahan was tipping plays because right. they were friends right. with each other, right. and Callahan wanted out of. Uh, out of Oakland at the time in that Super Bowl. No, there there aren't. And there's going to be a guy. You know, I think I think the Giants have sort of cooled on on shorts. I think um, – I can't – the name's escaping me, but the defensive coordinator from Carolina is, is Wilkes, getting a lot.
1: Wilkes, yeah, we'll draw a blank on the first team. Yeah, Wilkes. they hired uh,
0: Dave Gettleman in, in – in New York, the former, your, the former right. GM for Carolina, so they're thinking they, they may lean more towards him. I think Jim Schwartz is going to stay where he is, but his name is being bandied about, and there's going to be a coach or two every once in a while, or maybe even next year, who we haven't heard of that that jumps on and and takes a team. But it's the NFL. I mean, and, and unless you're the Cleveland Browns, every once in a while things are stars are going to align, things are going to happen. If you think you can make that happen with with a guy. That may be true, but are the Bengals in a position right now to next year be in the postseason with the current roster that they have right now? I, I think with they can. Their current head coach, I think they can. Yeah, I think they can. So too. If you want to roll the dice on that? That's fine. Yeah.
1: Now again, the dice roll is you've told your fan base we think this is our guy, and guess what? He better damn well win. He, I, I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts, and. I do understand the fan. Well, while I'm trying to sell you on this, I guess not you, the collective right. you. I get you as a fan being angry at this decision. <clears throat> I get that. I get that you, if you decide not to go, I will tell you this: if they win, you will come back. That's what it's mean, all it comes oh, down to. If, I, I, but I get your animosity as we sit here today. I get your animosity. Come the draft, probably. I get your animosity when training camp starts. I get your animosity when the regular season starts. I get your animosity the first time something goes wrong. I get that. But if the if the if this roll of the dice is successful and they win again, you'll be back. You will be. It just that's human nature, right? I mean, look at the Reds. Reds can't draw a fly right now, right? And I get that. People understand they're going through rebuilding. Wake me up when you're done rebuilding, and I'll come back. I get. They'll be back. They were there through those playoff teams of yeah. 2010 through 14. Uh, now they know it's it's rebuilding. Go to the ballpark a couple times a year. Probably get some free tickets a couple times. I'm not going to overspend for this. I'm certainly not. There's there's no appointment watching for me right now. What am I going to watch, guys? I don't know who they are and they're not winning games. No, but when when the rebuilding process is over, then yeah, I think fans come back.
0: Okay. And I I, I would like to transition to the press conference itself. Yeah. Sure. Yesterday, can't really say that on a podcast. We're we're doing this on, on Thursday. Thursday. So, so Wednesday. Wednesday. It was a press conference.
1: Fred from Silverton writes...
0: I mean, there are a couple things, there are a couple takeaways I had from it. Number one, just some of the comments from Bill Laser, who was also there, who's also coming back, and Marvin Lewis, I thought to me were were a little head-scratching. The first was when, I feel like it was towards the end of the press conference, where Marvin said he didn't need this. That, to me, was a—why would you say well, that? Well,
1: I I think it's—I didn't need this, but I, I want I want the challenge of finishing this. And maybe that shows you the competitor he is, that he doesn't want to walk away from back-to-back losing years and not leading this team to a playoff win and not leading this team to beyond a playoff win and maybe a, a, the ultimate goal of a Super Bowl. I think there's—I think that's admirable. I know what you're saying, um, but I think it's also—I mean, look, he's got— Enough. He's got more right. than enough money to live the rest of his life comfortably in Arizona, where he's got a home. He could have easily walked away. I mean, easily. Right. Now, granted, he's also getting another another two years of five five point two five million dollars a year. Nothing to sneeze at. That's another ten million dollars in the retirement fund, right? Um, but no, I I thought that's what I read into that was was I don't need this, but I want to try to finish the deal, and I I think that's a competitor doing that. I really do. I think that's exactly what that
0: is. Okay, the Bill Laser. Comments. I think it may have been the first thing he said that kind of struck me was when he said, Oh, I guess we're gonna throw it over people's heads. And and everyone kind of laughed and Martin said, Oh, we're gonna do that after we after we run the ball. It it seemed to me like he was just he didn't he's not the whole point is that he's getting, you know, he had the first two weeks were Zampezi, and then it was a Bill Lazor offense. And well, it,
1: but it really wasn't. That's that's the thing. Okay. I mean, this was still the offense they installed. Because you can't install things during the regular season. You really can't. You can tweak some things. Right. But your install comes in OTAs, right. in training camp. Um, I mean, during the week, you basically have two two full practices that you're doing your, your game plan against live 11 on 11s. Then you have a little bit of a walkthrough just to make sure guys know where they're going on Friday. Same thing on Saturday. You play on Sunday. You do it all over. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat.
0: And I understand it was a joke, but it, the optics of it to me, with him saying, "Oh, because Mar Marvin said we need to take more shots down the field, we need to be more of a vertical offense," which is great, because I'm sure it's something the fans want to hear, and it and it is lip service. But then Bill Lazor being like, "Oh, I guess we're gonna, I guess we're gonna throw it deep," as if to say he doesn't necessarily have a plan, and he's well... just listening to what Marvin says and going with it, and and seeing sort of where. Where the needle is in terms of what he's saying and then crafting his argument towards that or crafting his offense towards that. Yeah, no, I,
1: I, I think I think he'll be allowed to craft his own offense. I think the point was, I think Marvin even said, he said maybe there's certain weeks where we have to throw it over their heads more. And I think the point is, maybe you're playing a, a press coverage team that doesn't give you a lot of safety help. And by God, they're challenging you to throw it over their heads. So guess what? You better take 8, 10, 12 shots throwing it over their heads. Maybe there's a week where um that you know they're 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 so scared of their corners are playing two deep safeties and now that's a week you better run the ball so I think it does start with running the ball I mean you've got to run it effectively I think they they found that and I think you know maybe they lucked into an offensive line at the end of the year at least the semblance of an offensive line and and maybe that's why Paul Alexander doesn't have a job today is maybe he didn't recognize Christian Westerman could play against that competition level or that Clint Bowling could kick outside and play tackle
0: um we saw it two weeks in a
1: row. We did, we did, and very effectively. I mean, very effectively. Now there was a there was a stretch of that third quarter of the of the uh, of the Baltimore game where it looked like the same old same old. They ran five plays, fifteen yards. Right. Uh, some of it was the the interception return for a touchdown, put them back on the field defensively again, but didn't run a lot of plays, didn't get a lot done. But the ninety yard drive was was a hell it was a hell of a drive.
0: Yeah, and not only that, but even before the. Even before the second half started, the inexplicably giving up points at the end of the first half right. reared its ugly head when Chris Moore returned it and then scored a touchdown. At that point, I was thinking, "This is this is exactly what we have seen all year." But to their credit, they they did pull out that victory. I wanted I do want to go back to the press conference sure. and and another thing that that sort of surprised. I I, I get that the, the press conference was forty minutes long, which is A long press conference by any stretch of the imagination. And it would have been interesting to see how much longer it would have gone if there wasn't Emily Parker, the Bengals media relations person, saying, okay, there's only a few more questions. I feel like there would have been people that would have sat there and asked more questions. I'm not trying to say that you know everything or i know everything or that the people who are regularly in that room know everything but there's got to be some sort of understanding that when people who don't normally cover the team come in and <laughs> attempt to advocate for fans yes. in my opinion and I'm not going to say who it was who, who was asking these questions. I will say that I, I've seen his reporting and I, I respect him. And I would also say that if they, if someone in the newsroom said, hey, Jed, you've got to go out to this four-alarm fire, you've got to go out to this double murder, I probably would be out over my skis. I don't cover that all of the time. And I don't know what I'm talking about if I were to go out there. To present these fan questions in a way... That makes it look like you're advocating for the fans, and that's all you care about, is pretty disingenuous to me. Well,
1: the 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 one question, Betty Lou from from the Gold Star, and tell Mike Brown to open his, and that is the one thing I think Marvin responded of of up. To, he said it's up to you guys, me meaning the media, to, to knock that narrative down. And it, it is. It's a it's a, it's it's a lazy narrative. Um, it, it, look, the the Bengals lowballed Andrew Whitworth. They thought. They could get away with it, and if not, that they had ready-made replacements. Right, they rolled the dice on that. Shame on them. But for the most part, they, they you know, Marvin Jones, everybody, oh, they can let Marvin no Marvin Jones wanted to leave. He wanted to be a number one receiver. And for all the well, oh, what about Mohammed Sanu? Mohammed Sanu wasn't a great loss. He was a number three receiver who didn't do much. So don't give me those. The Bengals have paid their guys. That's why they've held on to I mean they've held on to a franchise quarterback. And a franchise wide receiver for a long period of time in a league where that just doesn't happen a
0: very much. Franchise defensive tackle. And a, yeah, right. Yeah.
1: In a franchise defensive end.
0: Right. That was the most legitimate of the three questions that that reporter asked. In terms of the actual question making sense. But it's a lazy making, narrative. Oh no, it is. But the first question was, would would Marvin Lewis be interested? In writing into players' contracts a uh, provision clause on discipline, okay, you can't do that. Correct. That is, that is something that, that the league and the players' union would have to collectively bargain, and that is not getting collectively bargained Correct. anytime soon. So going forward and asking that question and saying, hey, I'm, I'm representing the fan and asking a question that doesn't make any sense is terrible. The second question was um, Do you think you need to be more animated on the sidelines? Which, uh, I mean, that's just the, that, that to me, I don't know if it was phrased that way, but. I, I'll, I'll read the question. Along those lines,
1: I talked to another fan from Kennedy Heights. Was it Ken from Kennedy Heights? I don't remember. I don't
0: know, Jonathan Who would like to
1: see Kennedy. you be more aggressive as a coach? I'm not sure how a fan would define aggressive. But for you personally, as you move forward and reflect on the unrest of the fan base, what are the things you could do differently on the sidelines and how do you communicate that to the fans? And his point was if I act like an idiot on the sidelines, losing my head, how do they think the guys on the field will act? You have to be true to your own personality. Anybody ever see Bill Belichick get crazy on the sidelines? Anyone? Ever anybody ever ever see Tom Landry on the sidelines? You ever go crazy? The the coaches the you coaches, have to be true to your personality. The
0: coaches who go crazy on the sidelines are known for that. They're right. Not known for being winners. They're not known for being. They're not known it, for being guys
1: that can look, control. Look, I've said this before. There is a passion level to play the game, but this is an execution game. It's who executes better, and acting like a nut isn't going to make you execute better. Um, this isn't middle school, high school, where it's up to you as a coach. Yeah, you gotta really push and pull and push and pull. Cause those kids don't know what playing hard means. They don't know they think they're playing hard. They think they're doing it the right. And and a lot of times they just aren't because oh, I'm a little tired. Well, as a pro, you got two choices. You either play hard or you're gone. You either do it the right way or you're gone. There's somebody else to fill your shoes. You're a professional. It's what you do for a living. Look, could his time management, game management be better? Absolutely. I don't I'm not gonna discount that, but Talking about what, how he acts is insane.
0: Jerry Glanville was a clown on the sidelines. Yes, him. he was. What what is he known for? Wearing all black and leaving tickets for Elvis at every game at Will Call.
1: How Bill Walsh act on the sidelines. <laughs> I mean, Bill Walsh what, looked at his play sheet want, and made his play calls.
0: What are you interested in your coach being known for? What are you interested in your coach being known for? And I, I you know, again, Martin Lewis isn't known for winning in the play. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that that. Fans looking down and saying, gosh, that co- I can tell that coach really cares. Fans don't have to look down at the coach. Fans have to look up at the scoreboard. Right. That's how you can tell a coach cares. And if you want to talk about Marvin Lewis, how he doesn't care or how he can do better because his team can't win, fine. I get that. But if you want to talk about what can Marvin Lewis do on the sidelines during games that makes me know that he cares— it's a clown question, bro. It's a clown question. It's completely... It, so we have the first question... But they're, but
1: they're on the fan side. remember? Right. That.
0: But the first question was, can you write something... in? Would you be willing to write something into their contract? No, because you're not allowed. You can't do that. You just can't do that. That's the equivalent of saying, would you be willing to allow all of the letters... In the alphabet to um, go down and walk down the street and get a cup of coffee. No, they, they're any you know they're letters in the alphabet. They can't go and get a cup of coffee at the local diner. It's 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 just as insane of a question. The second question has to do with his performance on the sideline. So that leaves us with Betty from. Uh, does she live at the Gold Star? I think she I was. I
1: think she was at the Gold she Star. Was where there. She was Yes,
0: she just happened to be there. That leaves it as the most legitimate actual question where. But it shows
1: me that that Betty doesn't pay attention.
0: Betty doesn't pay attention because they retain their players. I think Betty may have a point when it comes to free agents.
1: Maybe. But their philosophy has been draft, develop, keep. Okay. Right or wrong?
0: Marvin Lewis in that press conference yesterday did allude to the fact that we need to be more active... In the free agent
1: market. Yeah, and I think I think some of that was be active in, in retaining when it's time to retain, too. And that goes back to the Whitworth circumstance okay. of we needed to be more proactive in keeping that guy.
0: But I do think that it would be a, a mark for this team going forward to be more active I agree. in free agency. I don't, I don't think that you're, that, that you're... And again, I think that
1: goes back to maybe that's part of his power struggles. He wanted a little bit more in that regard.
0: Right. I don't think you're team is made or you don't make or break a team on picking up free agents i mean i think there are certain teams that are always active in free agency that really don't make heads or tails with it. the dolphins are one of those right. teams they get in dominican Sue they get you know a bunch of a bunch of different guys to bring in that, that, that don't mesh that's not the end all be all correct but i think instead of bringing in a guy nothing against brandon lafell nothing against kevin minner nothing against Carlos Beer, A.J. Hawk, or some of the other guys that they brought in, instead of a guy that fills the back end of a roster, maybe they're looking for a guy that fills the front end sure. of the roster, a guy who can potentially make somewhat of a difference. Um, so, I, I and, and whether or not they determine if this fits or if that guy fits or if this guy is worth the price tag or not, that's fine. But being more active in, in identifying. Marvin said it in the press conference yesterday. We've got to look at what we have on our team, We've got to look at the strengths of the draft, what we think we can address in a draft. And if there's a gap, if there's something, if there's a position of need in the draft that that we don't think we can address in the draft, we've got to take a hard look at it in free agency. And I hope that, that, that he sticks to that. Yeah, I hope they stick to that because I think there is something to be said for being a little more active in free agency and not just looking for guys to fill out the back end of a roster.
1: That's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I'm going to have a column up on local12.com this weekend, kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly, and, and some award winners. I don't want to go through a complete good, bad, and ugly with you because it's going to take, take too long to do in the podcast. But I do want to go through some, some award winners. If I were to tell you, who, who was the offensive MVP this year? The
0: offensive MVP? <clears throat> uh, <laughs> I would say Dalton.
1: I would say Dalton, too, over A.J. Green. Even though he threw yeah. A.J. Green out of bounds a few times, I thought he battled um, you know, uh, uh, the fact they couldn't run the football um, the fact that he, he avoided probably more sacks than, than he got sacked 39 times, which is a, a chunk, but honestly, I'm thinking of 11, 12, 13 more that he probably could have been sacked if he hadn't escaped and thrown the ball away.
0: And I think, uh, I don't know if, how many, or I don't know how many others we're going through, but I think offensive breakthrough would be Tyler Cross. Well, I was
1: going to be my next thing is, is, is who was the, who was maybe the surprise offensive player for you? Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think it's great that it came out late last night that Jonathan Hayes is coming back as a tight ends coach, and I think that's fantastic what he's done with Tyler Croft.
1: And at the time Eifert went down, I even wrote, and I I think we on the podcast, I said, I don't think it's as big of a loss as you think it is. Look, he's not as athletic as Tyler Eifert is, but if you look at the productivity, it was pretty darn good.
0: And he had his moments, too. He had his moments (laughs) even in the Baltimore game, even though he had the tight ends. Yes, right. He had his moments where – it's a
1: consistency thing and and
0: right the knock on him is he doesn't have the athleticism to separate himself from the coverage and he doesn't so he needs to be better at catching the ball in 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 tight spots which i would agree with at at times but i think his progression is 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 very eye-opening and very welcoming for this team so i think he he deserves a lot of credit
1: um let's go to the uh let's go to the I mo- still stay on the offensive side the most disappointing offensive player i guess is easy mm.
0: i mean uh, the most disappointing offensive player i don't know if it's as easy as you think i would say oboehi
1: <coughs> oh okay I, I was gonna go john ross i mean you drafted the oh, guy in the well, first yeah. round okay yeah. I,
0: I think <laughs> I, he, I don't think he gets the pass i guess he, he can't be disappointed i guess he can be disappointed way is a good, a good answer
1: though because, you know, if, if you sit here today, I'm looking and going, all right, how do I make myself better at right tackle? Because I think I found myself something on the left side. And a way he becomes a backup, right? That, look, at least when you put him in, you know he's done some decent things in an NFL game. So you think
0: bowling is? I,
1: it'll be interesting to see. I think it's when the offensive line coach comes in or whoever that is, it's certainly a conversation worth having. Okay.
0: Okay, interesting. Inter- yeah, I mean, you know, I, he,
1: I, he, I think you, you got to find a place for Christian Westerman, and, and I think Clint Bowling needs to play, so that doesn't leave you a whole lot of options.
0: Well, I think it's – it's. we talked about it, and it, it is – again, it is a two-week thing. We talked about last week It what happens if they come out and play well against the Ravens as an offensive line. That first series – Best of the year. Where they lost Winston and <coughs> brought in the guy who I think does those YouTube baseball videos, that older guy, Kent, Kent Perkins. Kent Perkins, that's him. I mean, that, I mean, doesn't he just sound like a guy – you know that borrows your dad's wheelbarrow. You know, I know you were
1: you were at camp bunch, but you're not there every. I was there every day for yeah. almost every
0: snap. Right,
1: Ken Perkins was a disaster. <laughs> he was. He came in though and did a good job.
0: He came in and, and that that was maybe the most dominating series that that offense had. I agreed. And there was there was talk, and I, you may have more of an insight on this than I do. There was talk that those that Baltimore was kind of tripping that they were going to shut him out again. And that those guys heard that. I think I heard that from Dave Lapham. Lapham said that those guys in the locker room after the game were saying that they heard before the game that Baltimore was saying they aren't going to score a point again. And those guys took it. We talked about, will these guys play for Marvin Lewis? If this is his last game, will they send him off? Will they do? Will they play for him? Will they do that, this or that? They showed on that first drive. That they've got a lot of pride, whether they got that pride just for themselves or whether they had it from. But I think it was some some, hung, it was. some
1: hungry guys that were playing too, right? Right. I mean, Christian Washington had two weeks to show can he play in this league, and he yeah. showed it.
0: He did, and, and it, it, again, whether where wherever they wherever they got that want to, it it showed on that first drive. That was impressive.
1: It was. Let's was go to the defensive side of the ball. Defensive MVP.
0: Uh, I mean, Geno Atkins yeah. is, was the best player at his position, has been the best player at his position for...
1: It, it, it is crazy. He has, in his career, 61 sacks in 121 games. Roughly a sack every other game for an interior defensive lineman. That's insane. And I think he ended up leading interior defensive lineman in, in sacks. I know he was there at least going into week 16, I believe, and I'm guessing he stayed there. And... And it's not just sacks, it's just what he does.
0: And I'm not trying to be Joey football or whatever here, but if you watch him and you watch what he allows other people to do right. on that, it's not just what he's doing, it's what, because he's such a menace, if he <laughs> commands a double team or, you know, if he allows those linebackers to roam free because nobody's coming up to the second level because they've got to deal with Geno, if he's if he's helping A a defensive lineman get to the edge or or something like that it's not all in his production it's what he's allowing other people to do i would say even though gino is far and away the number one choice i don't think and maybe this is comeback player but william jackson the thirds
1: well okay that goes in my next category which is the 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 most pleasant surprise on defense i think he fits that him and carl lawson because um, I, I think you, you had some hope for Carl Lawson, but when you saw it, it was right. like, oh wow. But William Jackson III, he didn't just become a competent player; he became a top-level shutdown corner. That, frankly, I'm looking forward to talking to whoever the next defensive coordinator is. He needs to be a—he needs to be the guy that shadows the best receiver on the other team wherever he lines up. The Bengals, for those who don't know, they line up a left corner, a right corner, and whoever the slot guy is. And the left corner and right corner always line up on the left and always line up on the right. Some there are other teams in the league that do that. It's to have familiarity. It's all those things. But there are all other teams that say, you're my best corner. That's their best receiver. Wherever he lines up, you go. And I'm not so sure that's not the best rule for him because you just don't complete passes on that game. There are times where it looks like he's beat, right? And the closing speed and this those long arms, he reaches out flips it away.
0: As good as Geno Atkins has been at his position in the NFL – We've seen signs that William Jackson III may be more valuable at his position.
1: Absolutely,
0: signs, signs. It's not. Uh,
1: he We've he, he wowed me the more the year went on. He really did.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you did mention something in there that that has sort of been hanging in the past uh, day or so. Do you think there will be a new defensive coordinator? I definitely do. Uh, Paul definitely
1: Paul do. Gunther will take will take the job in Oakland. It will be offered to him. It's. It will be offered to him. If not, if Jim Schwartz takes the job in in New York, he will be Philadelphia's defensive. He will be somewhere. It will not be here unless, the only unless is, unless he has some concessions in mind that he wants. Maybe he wants a succession plan in two years. When Marvin's out, I'm in. I mean, those demands, if they're met, can I see Paul back? Yeah, I can see Paul back. But I think the enticement is the possibility of what he can make what he can eventually become in Oakland with John Gruden. And he's close to the Gruden family, obviously. I, it, it, I think the whole thing for him was, was, is John going to take it? And early last week, they really were mum on the subject. It was reported. Uh, John didn't say anything because some of it is they have to go through the interview process with some other people, especially the Rooney rule, and rightfully so, even if it's lip service. Even if it's lip service. Well, I
0: think the only thing we're waiting for is for him to announce it on ESPN. Correct. In the wild card weekend. Correct.
1: And that may be happening. Right. Ha- yeah, exactly right. And, if, and if, if that does take place, uh, Paul Gunther will be his defensive coordinator.
0: I think that's a good fit for him. He's a Philly guy. I think that would make sense if they have an opening there. Another place I think he may want to go would be Green Bay. They just fired Don Kippers. Right. Mike McCarthy and, and Marvin Lewis Are go back a long way. They've got a relationship there. McCarthy knows that that Gunther is a is a Zimmer disciple and that's you know sure. you can see what Zimmer is doing so I think there are a lot of really attractive fits for Paul and I think it would be which
1: which then brings us to who becomes the defensive coordinator here obviously and that that's a really open ended question because I've been asked it and I you know, I've Jack Del Rio's name, I've Mike White's name, but the problem with Mike White is he's defensive coordinator in Tampa, and one of Marvin's personal friends is Dirk Cutter, the head coach of Tampa. So are you going to go pluck his defensive coordinator out from underneath him? Probably not. Could Dom Capers be the guy? Could Could John Fox be the guy?
0: Well, I mean, what would be the problem with poaching uh I mean, Marvin's been poached.
1: Yeah, I just don't know if you'd do that to a guy. I, I just don't see him doing that to, to, to Dirk Cutter. I just, just because it's Marvin? Yeah. I just don't see that taking place. I like Mike Smith.
0: It certainly isn't an
1: unwritten rule. No, no, no. I, no, I just – I think it's a – I think it would be – Mike
0: uh, Smith, the former Falcons head coach?
1: Yes, correct. Okay, correct. Okay. He's defensive coordinator in Tampa. Now, they, they, weren't, they, they weren't very good, but he's a good – I think he's a really good football coach. So that, that's interesting. Hey, I do want to get back to the most disappointing defensive player. Most
0: disappointing defensive player. Uh, I, I – I don't know. I, I think mine will
1: surprise you, but maybe you're on the same page. Um,
0: I think I think when you say disappointing, you know... It I, means I, you have a
1: level of expectation for that player. Right,
0: okay. If we're going that way, it's fantastic
1: Absolutely. Chris. I I don't think I, you can go anywhere else with it. Um, you know, his, his tackle numbers continue to decrease. He still has a hard time. I mean, if, if you look at what he's done since the 2013 season, when he went to the Pro Bowl, his only Pro Bowl appearance, played in all 16 games had 176 tackles, 176, 115 of them solo tackles. Over the last three, four seasons since that point in time, he's played 36 games, and and his tackle totals have barely – he's had one season of over 100 tackles total. This year he was 69 in 10 games. It's not enough. He's a playmaker. Go be a playmaker.
0: Yeah, and it's – it's the, you know, we talk about Cedric Ablahi being disappointing or John Ross the level of expectation wasn't there, but they, they were expected to step up. Yes. This is different. The level of expectation is there for Vontaze Berkson. Absolutely. Berthin, and we expected him to be at a certain level, and he wasn't there. And I do think it's it's very telling when Nick Vigil can miss the final three games of the season and still co-lead this right. team in tackles, right. which I think he did with Vinnie Ray. And it also says, what does it say about Vontez Berkson's performance that two guys in your position group get more tackles than you and those two guys nothing not to take away and I think Nick Vigil made two strides before he got hurt but Nick Vigil and Vinny Ray should have as many tackles combined as Burke. absolutely agree no so question that about it. I think that's that's disappointing and we talked we've talked about this going forward I think we have to curb our enthusiasm on his production from here on out
1: I agree I I, I think I, and, and unfortunately you're on the hook for him though
0: you're on the hook for him. Um, you know, that's, again, was that a Marvin decision or is the buck stopping with him? I tend to believe that that was a Marvin decision or at least something yeah, that he pushed that fair. for. But um, I, I do think that you have to look at it and say he's had a hard time, you know, staying out of the NFL's. The NFL is reaching into his pocketbook and taking money and, and suspending him. And, and outside of that, he... He plays too reckless almost. He doesn't know where the line is, and he ends up getting hurt. He ends up getting his other. He ends up getting his teammates hurt right. as well. So, I think going forward, the Bengals as an organization may have to look at him and say, we're, "He's not going to get back to what he was when he made the Pro Bowl." You,
1: you gotta hope he is. He's only 27 years old. I mean, you gotta That's hope he true. can do that. So, all right, time for three team teaser of the week. You ready?
0: I'm ready. I won last week. I know you did. So it's 3 to 2 as we enter the playoffs. I'm grateful that you're allowing me to continue to sure. play. Sure.
1: Why not? Keep the, gambling.
0: The only <laughs> The only here's here's the thing that happens to me all the time is I win, but I could have made another bet with these three teams and done better. In terms of if I if I take the Colts, Buffalo, and Kansas City on a money line parlay as a no, no that would have worked either, out pretty well for you. That would have worked out a lot then. Uh-huh. So, and even when you win, you think, oh, I could have won a lot more if I would have done something differently. Okay, so Colts, Buffalo, Kansas City, they all covered, or they all won outright, and I had them all getting points. So, I'm good there. I'm one behind you, three to two. You had Seattle uh, minus three against Arizona. Did work out Arizona Arizona so good. Won. And Cleveland did end up uh, losing by four, going 0-16. That parade is uh, Saturday. Yes, it by is. The way around. Uh, Can't wait around First Energy. All right, in the playoffs, the wild card round. Um, you know, in, in, this is a good rule of thumb, I guess. Anytime you're going to do this, but I, I think especially in the playoffs is don't take an underdog unless you think they can win outright. That's fair. And I think the two underdogs that I have, I, I definitely think they can win outright. I think
1: you're ill-advised on one of them, badly. Okay. Badly.
0: Atlanta, plus 13 against the Rams. Again, we are doing seven-point teasers. So seven-point teasers. These were
1: allowed to right. move the line, manipulate the line, seven points, but you got to hit all three parts of this to win.
0: Right. Uh, Atlanta, plus 13 against the Rams. You know, the, the Rams have had a great season. We've talked about them all year. I've called them, you know, a darling team. Uh, of mine, Sean McVay's a Miami grad. I just think 13 points against uh, against an Atlanta team who has been there before. They've had experience. Um, you know, they're getting Devonte Freeman back this week. I think 13 is way too many. So I'm going to take Atlanta plus 13 against the Rams. I just think the Buffalo story is too good to end here, and I think getting 16 against Jacksonville. I don't understand how you can make Blake Bortles a nine-point favorite in the playoffs. I guess maybe against the Buffalo team, but I think 16 points is is way too many. The line is nine. Tease it up to 16. I think that's way too many. And then I like New Orleans. They are giving seven, so I'm teasing it down to a pick 'em against Carolina. I think New Orleans is going to be the NFC representative in the Super Bowl. Boo. I think they're going to. I think they're, they're going to win the NFC.
1: They have every part you need. They can throw it. They have a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Alvin Kamara gives them a, just a super weapon, and defensively, they are a lot better than what they've been over the last They're year. They're
0: a lot better. And we were talking before we started this podcast that they may very well have the offensive and defensive rookies of the year in Marshawn Lattimore and Alvin Kamara. I think Kamara is going to get pushed by Kareem Hunt. Yes. I don't think there's going to be any doubt that Lattimore is going to be the defensive rookie of the year. He has been outstanding. I think Kamara's
1: the- kickoff return put him over the top.
0: Maybe. Maybe, and I also think it's a maybe a recency bias because Hunt kind of fizzled towards the end. He had a couple good weeks at the end, but he had a a great start to the year. Whereas Camara came on a little bit later. But I like Atlanta plus thirteen, Buffalo plus sixteen, and New Orleans as a pick'em. I would also entertain Carolina plus fourteen. I think you win on both. I think you win both ways. I think
1: Carolina's had a chance to get boat raced.
0: You think Carolina's got a chance to get boat raced? Okay. Just I
1: think, like I, just like I, I think Buffalo is going to get boat raced. I think Buffalo's got thirty-one to ten written all over it. No,
0: I just think I think they're too. I think it's too big of a story. They've they've got first playoff. Appearance. And that's why it's
1: hey, look at us, yay, we made it, and see you later.
0: Well, I think it's too big of a story for them, but I also think the other part of it is. I think people are going to look at that and say, oh, my gosh, New England's got Buffalo in the divisional well, round. Good point. Really? So that's going to feed into another narrative. So I, I But, again, I'm getting 16 points. I think that's too many against Jackson.
1: Uh, it's not going to be enough. I'm just going to tell you right okay. now. Okay. Circle that one for you. All right, All I'm going right. to go with uh, Kansas City laying two against Tennessee. I, just, I can't see Tennessee going on the road and, and winning this game in any like way, shape, one. or form. Um, I do like Atlanta getting 13. I'm with you. I think they have a chance to, to maybe pull off the upset. Um, so I'll go with them. And I'm taking Jacksonville minus two. I think they boat race. Boat race them. You've 31-10. Taken, you've
0: taken Jacksonville this year, and it hasn't worked out for you. It is not,
1: it. but it's going to work out for me this week. Uh, I, I
0: did want to point out one yes. of the more obscure facts. Um, I took Kansas City last week with Pat Mahomes starting. Pat Mahomes, the they, they beat Denver, I think, by three. That put an end to what I think is a streak that will never even approach anywhere close to the number of years that this streak lasted. That put an end to the streak of Kansas City not winning a game with a starting quarterback that they drafted. That was a streak of 30 years. Todd Blackledge? Todd Blackledge. How about that? Before this past week when Kansas City beat Denver was the last Quarterback that the Chiefs drafted that won them a game, thirty years ago, and that's
1: why fans, for those of you who don't like Andy Dalton, (laughs) realize how hard that really, really. They went
0: thirty years Uh without having a quarterback that they drafted win them a game. But they
1: also had a guy named Montana. (laughs)
0: They did. They had Steve Bono was good there. Steve Deberg was Steve Deberg. Dave Craig. Steve Deberg. I think they had a lot of Elvis Gerback Elvis Gerback was good. And Alex Smith is. They have they've, they've uh, went to San Francisco and got a couple decent quarterbacks, but I just think that, that that stat to me just blows my mind. And it, it is put to bed with uh, Pat Mahomes winning that game. All right. Hey,
1: I'd be remiss. Uh, this podcast, by the way, sponsored by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. We want to thank them for coming on board. They're uh, sponsoring a lot of our things on the sports cast themselves yeah. and on our website at local12.com, plus this podcast and the college basketball podcast. So. Our thanks to Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. You'll be hearing much more from them. So, what do we got coming up on Local 12? Jen,
0: coming up on Local 12, we're getting into uh, obviously basketball season. We're going to be getting out and doing a lot more stories. I've I don't like couple. basketball much. You don't? Yeah, I know. You're not a big, uh, not a big basketball guy. We've got uh, a couple stories I'm looking forward to bringing you up in um, Butler County that we're working on. Uh, some sports stories up there, some more feature stuff. We get a chance now that Bengal season is over to kind of spread our wings a little bit, and we're getting into conference
1: game. basketball action too. So that's right. uh, you start to get into games that are more meaningful, week to week, day to day, for the most
0: part. Right. So a lot to a lot to keep track of with UC and Xavier, as good as they are, continuing their uh, their trek towards March. So lots to do, lots to uh, lots to keep abreast of. We'll have you on and. and Rick Broering and Chad Brendel occasionally on the, on the Sports Authority going forward. So a lot to get to. And spring training. It's, right around it's, not, it's not
1: too far off. And speaking of Rick Broering and Chad Brendel, they join me. We're starting our twice-a-week college basketball podcast starting this coming Sunday. We'll do it twice a week, Sunday, and then sometime midweek, usually Wednesday. So uh, we do that. We do it once a week until we get to after Bengals season and kind of into into conference action. So for those who are wondering when I said I don't like basketball, that was kind of a bad bad, (laughs) thing.
0: You're a basketball coach. Basketball
1: coach, for goodness (laughs) sake. So there we go. Uh, For Jed Demuse, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us on this edition of the Skinny Podcast sponsored by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. It's the Bengals edition.